Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to The Progress Theory, where we discuss how to implement scientific principles for optimising human performance. I am Dr. Phil Price, and on today's episode, we're joined by SNC coach and performance nutritionist at Omnia Performance, Johnny Payne. Now, training as a generalist or hybrid training has become really popular in recent years. People just don't want to train for one sport now. They want to be good at multiple sports. Or, for example, they want to be really strong, but at the same time, they want to be able to run a marathon. Johnny has been training athletes that specialize in multiple disciplines for over 15 years now. And he's since set up Omnia Performance, which specializes in concurrent training for the development of strength and endurance. In this episode, Johnny and I discuss the true meaning of hybrid training, how strength and endurance can actually coexist, and how we can structure our week to ensure peak performance as well as maximum recovery. As always, follow The Progress Theory on Instagram and YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please check out all of our other content. Here is Johnny Payne. Hey, Johnny, how are you doing? Good, my friend. How are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Thank you so much for coming on The Progress Theory. I've been watching your Instagram for quite some while, and I'm a big fan of the stuff that you're doing with your coaching and the stuff that Fergus Crawley is doing as well. You've got a bit of a uh, really good ethos down there. And it links in with, the, I think, hybrid training or the ability to develop strength and endurance at the same time is something that's got really popular and then just blew up over, over lockdown. So it'd be great to hear about your insights of the challenges you're doing, the, the projects you're doing, and also like some of your coaching and programming philosophies anything like me anything like you you lead and i'll follow now nah, sounds good and the fact that when i when i every time i look at your um instagram i see that you like your skateboarding and i was like we're gonna get on so i was like definitely i've got to get you on the progress theory <laughs> yeah yeah I, I spotted the van's t-shirt there when we, when we, yeah, when yeah. we joined uh, uh, online there a minute ago <laughs> dressing yeah, appropriately stuff <laughs> So do you want to give a little bit, a bit of a background to yourself and maybe a bit of background to the Omnia performance? Yeah, it's a funny question, isn't it? We, we, I was on a podcast with Fergus the other, the other week and we actually need to re-record that. And he said, tell us who Johnny Payne is. And, and I, I stumbled because I thought, oh, how do you do that? Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? But uh, I'm from the very north of Scotland, uh, from a, a place called Thurso, which is the most northern town in, in, in Britain. Not a lot there apart from skateboarding and surfing, which is uh, where that all comes from. And uh, moved down to, to Glasgow, various different jobs and, and various different uh, versions of myself from Glasgow through down into into Nottingham. And down in Nottingham, I got into, through various means, some of them nefarious, we got, got into uh, mixed martial arts, which back then wasn't even mixed martial arts. It was uh, no holds barred or, or it yeah, was yeah, very course. much underground stuff. Not illegal, just people didn't know what it was. So, so I did that for a long time. I cut my teeth there. As that uh, sport exploded and evolved, younger, fresher, and more stylistically capable men came along. <laughs> that's uh, that's my, my way of saying that I wasn't very good at it. And uh, I found myself in a position where I was offering, really just as, as a friendship thing, offering a bit of coaching advice. I understood strength and conditioning quite well and uh, nutrition certainly. And I was able to help guys prepare for fights. And that became something I became very passionate about. And long story short, here we are, roughly 18 years later as a coach, I've looked after boxers, uh, mixed martial artists, jiu-jitsu players, and then over the past, I think, eight or nine years, uh, moved into this kind of hybrid world where we're looking after people who, who, who have goals and performance goals at both ends of this kind of strength and endurance 
spectrum. So 18 years in the game now. I've, I've said that a few times recently. On the bio, it says 15, and then I realised we wrote the bio about three years ago. So now I'm having to, having to adjust that, that uh, timeline. But yeah, strength and conditioning coach uh, and a performance nutritionist and, and really very much enjoy, enjoy what I do and enjoy the uh, experiences i'm very very privileged to have through that are you doing a phd in nutrition yeah well it's on hold through the masters we had um the opportunity to look at uh, what's essentially nutritional periodization and see if we couldn't push the boundaries there into usually a lot of what i did from a from an academic perspective came from trying to hone fighters ability of making weight and or getting into a position where they were fighting uh, safely one of those kind of elements happens to be nutritional periodization so what tends to happen is that carbohydrates are cut. And many people that would listen would understand that process, that you're going to cut the carbohydrates in order to lose the weight in, in the week or, or two leading up to the fight. But what that leaves is, is a very depleted fighter. And then what you have on fight night is this hopeful kind of return to form and then 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 a performance, which is dangerous. So we're looking at whether or not we need to cut the, the carbohydrates right back or whether we can cut it back to the point where this enzyme response is triggered and, and whether there's any way that we can kind of trigger it on and off within a, a kind of a dose-dependent format. That's that's a really rough way of saying what we're trying to do. But then COVID's kind of put, COVID and life actually, I, I can blame it on COVID, but actually there was other things taking over, so it's very much on the back, but still interesting mm. to me. That sounds really interesting. Going back to the to the bio there, I, I always forget, and then I think maybe my wife will listen back, I should start these things with, I am a, I am a husband and father of four, which is... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's where I should start the bio and then, then talk about the other things. That's the, that's the priority flip. So. Get the essentials in and then go into details. Exactly, exactly. Hmm. Only because I can hear footsteps in the background. And- <laughs> no, it's wicked. So how did you develop Omnia Performance? Uh, could, it did, did Fergus go to university in Nottingham? And did you meet there and then it's developed this a sort of coaching relationship between the two where you've developed it into a, a business? No, not quite, no. So I, Nottingham's where I cut my teeth, but I actually moved back to Scotland. So I'm, I'm based just outside Edinburgh. Moved back to Scotland the oh, best part of 12 years ago when our, when our first daughter was born. So she, she'll be 13 soon, in fact. So we moved back months after that. So I've been back in Scotland for, for over a decade. Fergus came to me for coaching but roughly four years ago. Actually, an interesting insight into this kind of hybrid methodology that I've been coaching already for the previous four or five years with uh, alongside Alex Viada at Complete Human Performance. Fergus had a, a, a campaign idea where he, he was looking to squat as much accumulated weight over 24 hours as he could in order to, to beat the, 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 the then standing world record. And so ultimately he was going to be squatting X amount of weight over and over for 24 hours. He was a powerlifter, rugby player. Anybody who follows Fergus knows that background. No real endurance training there. He, he certainly had an engine, but but uh, very much based on this kind of anaerobic kind of sprint style. You know, things that you'd expect from from powerlifters. <laughs> I mean, that he, he just didn't entertain aerobic uh, activity much. When he came to me, it's because he understood that, that I was working in that hybrid environment. But it was very clear to me from the very start, as soon as he put that idea across, that we were actually looking at what amounted to an, an ultra-endurance event. It may be biomechanically squatting, but for 24 hours, anything repeated for 24 hours is, is ultra-endurance. So we worked on that. We, we came through that, and it went it went well. But actually, he ended up injured through that, and that's one of those kind of... There was nothing we could do. You know, we mitigated against it as much as we could, but it was always a risk. Not, not dissimilar to nervous and things. It's, it's, it's always going to be a risk uh, to, to do something quite so challenging. Unfortunately, his knee went, and so we, we cut it. I, I might be wrong, but I think about something like 14, 15 hours in, maybe a little bit further. So he'd, he'd already done a considerable amount of work by then. And then we've just maintained that kind of coach-athlete relationship. And over those years, Fergus is a really bright guy. Fergus actually did uh, theology at university, so not a related subject, but certainly has that academic underpinning and uh, always asking questions, always very involved, always uh, autodidactically, if you like, kind of off there studying and trying to learn a bit more for his own sake. And uh, slowly we formed this kind of... Over time, it became obvious that although I'm guiding the coaching, he knew a lot about what was happening and could then, rather than say, right, what do I do next, coach? He was saying, how about we try this and how about we do this? So it became more of a, what should should we have, a collaborative relationship. And and I saw a great deal of potential in him. He he picks up uh, clients very easily because of his his status, but he didn't want to half-arse that and and really wanted to make sure he was doing the right job. So we've just worked together. And now he's he's just as... uh, capable of coaches as any coach I've met. So he's developed that relationship with me and through me, but, but very much now a standalone coach in his own right. So because we'd been doing that together for so long, 
and setting up. And I had I worked at CHP, still work for CHP uh, with Alex. I also had Painless Performance, which was my own company, and we decided to, to sort of band together, start Omnia Performance. So, so Painless okay. Performance is no more Omnia Performance. Is Fergus and I together, and essentially we're owning, if you like, as much as we can be. Mm. The little niche that we've carved out from ourselves, yeah. experientially as well as uh, perhaps academically. What's working with Alex Viada like? Because he's uh, another person that would be great to have on on the podcast. Very knowledgeable guy in a similar area. Like, what, what's he like? Uh, if he's watching it, wonderful. If, if he doesn't watch this <laughs> podcast, he's a, he's a terrible human. Only joking. Uh, Alex is great. Alex is great. I've learned a lot from Alex. As you would expect, if you know anything about Alex, is um, unrivaled, in my opinion, his scientific knowledge and his, his, his scientific recall. You can ask him a question about sort of the, 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 the most granulized minutia in, in terms of physiology, anything really, and, and he'll have a sharp and concise and intelligent answer right immediately for you, which I find startling in actual fact um, so what you see if you've ever followed alex where he does his q a's on instagram where he's sitting on his bike doing his list answering all these questions and it looks like how could he how could he know that straight away he does he's just a sharp guy he and i crossed paths i i had developed my own kind of hybrid methodology if you like and was doing this kind of stuff with with my own clients and as I say, carving out my own niche, my own kind of specialty, if you like, and experientially with my own quote-unquote athletic background, trying things and failing, trying things and failing, and almost in, in parallel with that, Alex was doing the same. And, and he, he's mm. his scientific knowledge is extraordinary. So he wrote the hybrid athlete, wrote the book. Off the back of that, I sought him out for for a little bit of coaching for my attempt at the oh, book, cool. my um, completion yeah. of the Kelpman, which which Fergus has just done as well. Alex worked with me through that, and, and we got to know each other very well. Obviously, similar conversations to the ones that Ferguson and I had latterly, and uh, he asked me to come on and be a coach. And uh, I've been a coach uh, alongside Alex now. It's got to be going on six years, I think. So, yeah, that's a long stand. And Alex and I are now very good friends and, and have been for quite some time. So, yeah, I'm very, very lucky to have such people around me, in fact. So, yeah, I can't speak highly enough of, of Alex and what he does. Yeah, it seems like he... I don't want to say the godfather of hybrid training, but because it's been around for a long time, but when he wrote his book, that's when it became slightly more mainstream and it's gathered more popularity as it's gone over the last few yeah. years. But it, this lockdown seems to have really exploded. And yourself and Fergus might have been ones that have really exploded it in the UK. So that probably on top of CrossFit, functional fitness, there's a lot of different things that are really starting to blow up. I think people are starting to see it as like opportunities where... They've got like sport and then there's taking part in exercise. But now there's an, a competitive element to everything. And I think it's drawing people in. There's some really interesting things going on in that, in that kind of space. Um, Alex is responsible for the term hybrid athlete. And that, that's, he wrote the book off the back of it. And now it's people who, who aren't even aware of complete performance or Alex are talking about being a hybrid athlete, which I find very interesting because the source, if you like, I mean, is Alex the source? No, yeah. and he'd be the first to, to suggest that that would be silly. Really, I mean, hybrid hybrid athletes. Alex and I have always joked. Really, what we're looking at is people. So, so for anybody who doesn't really know what that term means, what we're looking at is is the the opportunity to program for and continue progress continually progressing to maybe even more seemingly disparate uh, sporting outcomes. So, for example, a powerlifter and an, an endurance runner, so let's say an ultramarathon runner. Up until a certain point, it seemed a powerlifter or a bodybuilder would never look at anything that, that would possibly, cardio kills my gains and all that kind of stuff. And, and what we were really saying was, well, only if you have 100% of a, uh, you know, a powerlifting program, you try and splice 100% of an ultra endurance program together, you smash them together, you get 200% of a program, you cannot recover, so people get injured. Uh, and then some of the science was a bit iffy. The interference effect uh, exists, but only sort of for a slight, finite amount of time, and then things reset. And so yes, there is an interference, but it's very, very finite. And ultimately, over the over and above that, are, are progressive uh, potentials. So what we what we're looking at really, and this is the kind of joke that we shared over a few mm. years, is all we're talking about is fitness. This used to be called being fit, being able to kind of move a, a more than average load or or without casting sort of detrimental slurs out there, just not being weak in, in that strength end of that spectrum, but also not being gassed when, when they run for the bus. I've looked after powerlifters before who who I knew uh, and, and legitimately couldn't have run the 500 metres they needed to, to catch the bus that might be pulling away. They see the indicator go on and you would hope to go, oh, right, I'll speed up and I'll catch her. 
catch my lift. But these guys couldn't have done it. They couldn't have done a hundred meter sprint without needing to lie down for a half hour. And that's actually where I started looking at things going, that's, that can't be right. Surely being a power lifter and having an aerobic underpinning would, would add to your volume potential. That just seems sensible to me. But it didn't to the powerlifting community. And it didn't. The flip side of that, obviously, we're picking on powerlifters. The flip side of that would be this um, aerobic-based community, endurance athletes who were afraid of lifting weights in case it made them, even in the boxing world, afraid of weight, lifting weights in case, it, in case it made them bulky and slow and detracted from the ability to be an endurance athlete. Whereas the reality is a stronger, more physically robust, more better postural control, better proprioception, et cetera, et cetera, that comes from strength training lends itself perfectly to a better more efficient endurance athlete. And it just seemed like there was a, there was a gap in the middle that, that everybody was, oh, we better not go through there. And, and Alex and myself and a few others were saying, well, that, that seems counterintuitive, in fact. Although you're saying it's intuitive to do it, we're saying it's intuitive not to. And really, that's my, that's my definition of being fit, is being able to be capable of all things. You look at, I have a, a, a short, very unsatisfactory military background, but I do look after a lot of military uh, aspirants as well. And you look at those guys and they have to be capable of all these things. So you've got an obligate hybrid athlete there. Or even if you look at anybody who, who follows sport from a strength and conditioning perspective, or even, even somebody with a good analytical mind would look at rugby and say, well, these guys are powerful, but it's sprint work. But if, if you look at a rugby, you look at the if you put a GPS in one of these guys, you'll find that over the 80 minutes of a game, 70, 60, 70 minutes of that, is aerobic movement where they're just positioning one one position, getting themselves ready for the next piece, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they have to be aerobically capable, and if they're not, they're not very good rugby players and not effective. So what you've got is an obligate hybrid athlete, you know, or somebody who's fit. So that's yeah, it's been interesting, as you say, to see this kind of explosion of it because it feels like the reality is that the the science has always been there, the the logic has always been there, and and the proof has always been there. Yet there was this kind of period of time where people felt like those things, you sort of never the twain shall meet, when in actual fact, you know, that doesn't even make any sense. And I think it's, it's almost like a, a timing thing. The lockdown has allowed people to stop and think about it. And maybe there's the, the, the popularity of, of what Alex has done, some of what Fergus and I have been doing, etc., has piqued people's interests. And then it's like anything, it just then it snowballs and people go, well, of course. And yet, then you have a lot of people in the same space, and it's, which is great, you know, because people are then rambling a bit here apologies but people then allow themselves the opportunity to do more than just that one thing which is another big part of what we're trying to say is don't don't box yourself in you might you might enjoy doing a, a 5k even though you're a power lifter it might be a great day out have you ever tried doing a, a sprint triathlon despite the fact that you're a, an olympic weightlifter might be good might actually help you so hopefully we're just helping people have fun at the end of the day and kind of ex- excuse me explore their own potential somewhat yeah it sounds like even if people are like thinking that oh these are two qualities they can't really develop together ultimately concurrent training has been around for you know many years you know if you've got a rugby player they're going to have some kind of training which is developing qualities that may not be fully linked to what they're doing but at the same time it's providing a base and it's the same with a triathlete they're going to be doing some form of strength training which is going to hopefully improve the physical qualities to help with their sport even if it's not seen as aerobic so despite people thinking that the two don't really mix we've been doing it for a long period of time and i think what's cool about what yourself fergus and alex have really done is that you've now popularized the fact that you can actually push in both so for example a triathlete will do strength training to improve the triathlete performance but they wouldn't necessarily think oh i'm going to try and lift heavy to try and prove that domain but now what you guys are doing so and actually with appropriate programming we can still push on both domains effectively i'm sure there's going to be times we push for one slightly pull back while you push for the other but ultimately the aim is that you increase linearly over the what if the people are training for being fit and healthy and it should be for multiple years so so, yeah 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 so you'd like to think that as long as you can you structure everything well you should be able to improve both domains effectively over time yeah and you've encapsulated that perfectly in fact maybe come back and record some of that as a little soundbite for, for omnia mate it's, it's uh, it perfectly describes how, how we see it certainly and, and and how we how we would like to present it as well as that kind of that ability as you say to to maybe move between those as, as a kind of, you know, like, a, like an old school graphic, you guys, okay, we want to turn the endurance up for a little bit now, so that means this can maintain, or let's just drop that down and play with the strength a little bit, but ultimately over time both are still rising. I think, yeah, appropriate programming, 
managing the athlete a little bit, which is just about listening to people. It's not, um, it's not rocket science, frankly, and just, just sort of being careful with it all. And as you say, concurrent training is not new. It's not like Alex invented concurrent training, nor did we, arguably, it's since the dawn of time kind of thing. You would, uh, you would move a big rock and then maybe have to climb to the top of a mountain to find, a, to find your cattle or whatever you were doing. We're built for these things, you know, so... Yeah, we're just trying to kind of allow people that opportunity. And through us, we hope that certainly my own belief in it is that you're just providing people with the opportunity to try things, to do things, to to not pigeonhole themselves, to be capable of doing it without burning themselves out. And we're, we're just hoping to facilitate that to, and kind of help help guide that a little bit, as opposed to claiming the invention of anything. And certainly the methodologies relatively unique uh, and the way things that we the way that we manage things is relatively unique in the space that we're operating in but uh, again none of it's a secret and none of it's none of it's new there's nothing new under the sun is there we're just looking to harness and manipulate what we do a little bit better each time we explore the science and i guess that's what science is isn't it but yeah i, I, I always find it funny because when you look at it it's from a We've got a company. Obviously, we, we want people to come to us. We, we, we want to, to continue to make a living out of this and, and, and whatnot. But I always find it awkward to do any... I, I know you're not asking me to, to do any kind of sales pitch on that front, but you can think, well, we're not seeing anything... I don't believe we're seeing anything dramatically new. We're just... We've, we've captured a, a, an appropriate way to manage it, uh, and, and that's what we're offering. Yeah. yeah, it's been interesting to see it unfold further too. I'd love to learn a bit more about how you manipulate factors such as volume and intensity but it would be quite cool to know a little bit more about that and how you've actually put it into practice so for example what training challenges have you recently trained for i know you there's project versicle uh, like you said yourself and fergus have done the, the keltman how did you program for those intense events again for for each individual it's going to be different isn't it you know and, and ultimately something like the keltman We've just touched on it a little bit. For anybody who doesn't know what the Kelman is, the Kelman is a, an extreme uh, triathlon. And, and by that, it simply means that the, the, all three elements, the swim, bike, run, are just a little bit more extreme. The, there's a swim in the Kelman. Is, is through, it looks intense. It, oh, it is intense. It's, it's a hard event for sure. The swim's 3.4K, I think, through uh, a, a jellyfish-infested, very, very cold lock up in the north of Scotland. And then the the, the cycle itself is the, the gradient's just off the scale, just up and down the mountains, and it's, it's longer than the usual Ironman distance. And then the the run in that particular event is is over two Monroes, so, so it runs it's still 40K, just just over, in fact, but you're climbing two mountains to get, so it's ra- rather than just, just a marathon, it's, it's, it's a marathon over a couple of mountains. So... It's a pretty grueling event and certainly takes a lot out of the competitive. An event like that, I mean, you're going to program for that the same as you program for any other triathlon. You just have to look at the gradient. You have to consider the, the like any, anything in strength and conditioning, you consider the needs of that particular event and then reverse engineer how, how you need your athlete to perform. So we're getting more efficient at uh, running. We're, we're getting more efficient at running in up and down mountains. So we have to we have to practice for that. We have to make sure we're biomechanically strong for it, et cetera, et cetera. Same on the bike, same on the swim. So no different in essence than any other triathlon. What makes it different for somebody like Fergus is that he doesn't want to just train triathlon. He doesn't want to say, right, we're going we're gonna to just completely ignore all but the baseline strength stuff where we do this. He also wanted to continue to maintain, if not, as you said earlier on, if not progressive strength through that kind of through that kind of campaign. And that, that's tricky, but it, ultimately it comes down to a few very key things, which again, aren't, aren't um, off the scale crazy or anything. It's just simply about managing volume. And to do that, we have to monitor the, the, the metrics that, 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 that something like Fergus is producing. We have to find that. I'm not a big fan of the, the this sort mm. of MVP, the maximum volume capacity however that's put because i think that that changes over time and i think it depends on the stresses and depends on on the the external stresses as well you know things like work-life balance can impact how much volume you, you can you can contain and maintain but it, you can hear me waffling a little bit because it's a little bit of a it depends program it, it depends answer rather but ultimately the way that we manage the stresses over the course of a week, if you if we consider concurrent training not to really follow a periodized process, which it doesn't, you know, you're, you're looking to a periodization. You're taking part of these different components and concentrating on a certain element for a certain amount of time, and hoping that maintains whilst you then move to maybe a power phase, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. With concurrent training, we're trying to progress everything all at once, all the time. 
the way that we manage that is that we consider things on this kind of recurring microcycle. So let's call it a Monday to Sunday. And what we try and do is, I can't think of who it was that coined this phrase, it wasn't Alex or myself, but the consolidation of stressors. And so we're consolidating those stressors across this microcycle. So we have maybe, if we consider high intensity, sort of fast twitch stress at one end of the scale and low intensity, you know, high volume at the other end of the scale, and, and consider that to be on a sliding scale at each end. So your intensity is coming down and your volume is coming up. What we, that, that's how we program. So we look at the beginning of a week. So triathlon is a good example of this, but we look at the beginning of the week as being, we would match something like a, a heavy squat, which is obviously going to work for our maximal force production and, and, and strength. Uh, and back to back with that, we would do something like either high skill or or high intense sprint, something like that. So it might be skill work, it might be sprint work, but it's something that, that, that has an intense response through the week we would manipulate that uh, intensity and volume by bringing the intensity down a little bit so midweek we're maybe looking at kind of sub-threshold work where we're trying to look at sort of buffering the lactic acid a little bit and push that push that boundary up a little bit and allow the body's more efficiency in, in turning over those substrates and metabolites etc so that so through the week we're looking at maybe threshold work and again beginning of the week we could have lower body and lower body sprints then on day two maybe upper body and that would be the bike sprints etc so we've kept intensity sorry the, the swim sprints we've kept intensity high here midweek we're looking at maybe this kind of threshold work and we, we, we want to rotate those modalities as well and then towards the end of the week we're going to look at uh, low intensity steady states so the longer slower stuff this more aerobic based zone two work and the resistance work towards the end of the week matches that same process so we'd be looking more of the accessory work, uh, something in the range of 50-60% of your one rep max and higher reps. So as the week goes on, going back to that sort of crossover model, the intensity is dropped, but the volume is mm-hmm. picked up. What that does is it keeps the recovery from each stressor away from each other, if you like, if that makes any sense, right? We're actually keeping the volume away from the intensity. And, and also you get this kind of crossover effect of, of high, high volume work low intensity actually works very, very well as a recovery protocol for high intensity work and vice versa. So one of the first things that we do for, for somebody like Fergus after he's done maybe an ultra marathon or something or, or myself is we won't just sort of say take a week off. We'll get somebody back in the gym two, three days later and have them do heavy squats, full range of motion, uh, three rep max, something like that, not to, not to max, but something that allows that full range of motion, allows the muscles to contract, et cetera, et cetera, and pumps the blood through. The other end of that scale is if somebody's done a powerlifting competition, great thing to do afterwards would be get them on the bike and just do some zone two work and have these kind of things work through the system. So again, it's one of those it depends things, but that's that's the kind of that's the model that we're looking at. This kind of high intensity dropping to to a high volume over the course of the week, and that's that consolidation, that management of stressors is the um, that's the way the program's put together. And then over and above that, we're obviously looking at metrics. We're looking at the response to these things. We, we, we use RPE a lot, but we also track very specific data. So uh, heart rate data is very key to us. So if Ferguson's zone two is like seven and a half minute miles, and all of a sudden he's producing 165 beats per mm-hmm. minute, we know we, we need to ease back and the program needs to adapt immediately because his response is it's now a high stress response. And finally, in amongst all that process, we need to consider these external stressors. So again, keeping using Ferguson as an example, but at least it, it, it keeps it tidy. Uh, we, we, we need to consider that during that process, he also had commitments to sponsors. He had uh, a lot of travel in there. So although we would have liked to have had a fuller week, that would have tipped him over the edge about four, maybe five times if we actually had to ease back. But in easing back and managing those external stressors and considering them to be part of that larger overall stress that we need to manage, we probably yeah, saved, yeah. We, we kept the adaption going forward as opposed to hitting a wall and saying, right, you need to take a week off because now you've, you've trained too hard or whatever. So it's a big, big soup, mate. And, and, but, uh, but all of it intuitive, isn't it? There's nothing that, that I'm saying that you wouldn't go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And, and hopefully anybody listening would, would see the key elements there. The rest of it's just about communication and manipulation of those kind of daily variables. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a great way of framing it. Firstly, definitely regarding external stresses. The longer I've been involved with strength and conditioning, the more I've appreciated how much the external stresses actually affect the training program. So almost like that should come first in your head when taking into account or developing it because people can write a program 
uh, oh, it looks great on paper, but as soon as you try and fit it in around their job, like it just, it's it's a terrible program because it doesn't work because it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's an excellent, excellent observation, actually, because that's that's it in a nutshell. Sorry, I got across you, but I know you, you were no, no, go for it. Uh, talking there, but, but I think that, that is actually what I think is actually the key to the methodology. So all this intensity, volume manipulation, and the metrics and all the rest of it, none of it makes any difference if you, unless you actually listen to the athlete. Which seems so bloody obvious, doesn't it? But it's not. It's it's, it's rarely done well. And I think that, that what sets us apart is we actually we, we actually do listen and we try to we try to piece a program around the the entire individual and their entire environment. Which means that, as, as you say, if you've got two people coming to you with the same goal and, and you say, right, well, here, here's how we program for that, it's not going to have success. The same success mm-hmm. in both of them because person B might they might just respond to stress in a different way or. or or they may have like a, on paper a higher stress job, or, or you know, or they might just be going through life experiences that mean that the general day to day stuff just feels more stressful. And you need to be in tune with that. Uh, if not, what you get, and we discuss this with all our clients when they come on, is or we could say to you, and again, just making these numbers up, but we could say to you, right, okay, on a Monday we want you to do 100 kilos for three reps, and we know from previous testing that that's around your, I don't know, let's call it 80. percent So you do three reps, and you tell me that that was an RPE eight. Right, fine, that's good, that's where we want you. Perfect, move on to the next exercise. Now, if we've pre-written that program and we've not considered that actually life happens, we've just said, this is how a program should work, this is what the science tells us, then intuitively or naturally, logically perhaps, the following week, we're going to program 105 for three or we're going to program that same 100 kilos for four reps, some kind of progressive overload. But if between that Monday and the following Monday... The, the, the dog chews the postman's leg, you know, that you have an argument with, you, with your better half. You, the, the job that you have decides they're going to restructure and you don't know whether you, you, your future is safe, et cetera, et cetera. When you get back to that squat that following week and you, you lift the 100 and the first rep feels like a 10 out of 10, you're going to be really disappointed. Not only is like, why can't I squat, I squat this for three reps last week? But generally an athlete will then try again or try again and again so they're, they're risking injury, they're, they're risking backsliding, they're risking overtraining, or not overtraining, but certainly taking themselves to the point where, where recovery is not at a premium anymore. Mm. And, and now, you're, now you're two, three weeks back in a program where if you had just been aware of these things or your coach or whoever had been aware of those things and was able to say, all we want is the physiological stress. We don't need, the number doesn't matter on the, on the, on the barbell. What we'll do, Phil, is we'll reduce it to 80 kilos this week, maybe even 75 Take a few good warm-up sets. Get me you, this week's RPE 8 for three reps. Doesn't matter if it's 75 kilos, doesn't matter if it's 85 kilos, I just want the RPE. So you're just getting the same stress response, you're just getting the same physiological response, more or less, and you, but you're not backsliding. And all that boils down to is simple communication, isn't it? That's nothing to do with science, if you like. I mean, it is a form of science in of itself, isn't it? But it's not, yeah. it's not it's an art strength form. conditioning per se, and it's not forcing a methodology and and that's i think that's key to any kind of training frankly but certainly without that this kind of hybrid methodology just wouldn't work i don't think yeah certainly it definitely sounds like an art form how you got to take into all account all of these different stresses and a lot of those stresses are hard to to measure or even sometimes you're not aware of their severity when because you talked about your program from like a very microscopic point of view so week by week and then you've gone on to then talk about how it's very individualized by trying to understand the athlete understand their stresses so you can then progress them appropriately is that the like framework of how you you regulate so you're not necessarily writing okay here's a 16 week program because you do it week by week so okay here's a framework of a 16 week this is roughly what we do but after each week we will then reassess progress how we think is appropriate again reassess program how we think is appropriate say that someone signed up to omnia performance and they have like a 16 week program but all of a sudden that 16 week program is completely individualized and different for every client it's appropriate for them yeah. because of how you well because of the philosophy of taking it week by week and auto-regulating by trying to understand your client yeah we, we take it even further than that so we don't okay we don't program for people week by week. We, we do it, um, the most our program is maybe two, three days. And even then, so, so we, we expect feedback every day from the athlete. We use a, a software suite, which is actually excellent, called Training Peaks. Alex and CHP use the same suite. Okay. Uh, and it's really very simple. The, the, the training comes through. If you're the client, the training comes through to you. You do the training and then you leave me notes. So you can leave me the metrics, all these kind of garments and things sync up with it as well. And, and the very specific detail, but we also want your interpretation of oh, this felt good today, this felt bad today. So we have to get to know you and how you 
interact with training. And so we maybe give you your Monday, Tuesday. And again, going back to that example, let's call that a lower and an upper. Before I put the Wednesday, Thursday in, I want to see your Monday, Tuesday notes so that I know whether or not, if you tell me, going back to that same RPE8 example that I gave, if we, if we look at that and you tell me that the bench press that should have been 100 kilos, you couldn't even get 80 up, then I'm not going to make you do the same threshold run the next day because I know already recovery is, is somewhat hampered. So what we probably end up doing is where that threshold run might have been in, we're now going to do a low-intensity steady-state run. We're going to keep you working, maybe do some zone two stuff, maybe... Some of that's maybe psychological, so you don't feel like we're just saying take a day off and then people's oh God, am I not even getting to train now, which is difficult for some folk. Still get you out there. We can still get you on a bike, let's say, and say, well, what we want to do today is keep heart rate no higher than 140, but work very specifically on on, on the, the, the cadence of your pedal work, etc. So we can still do things. But what we've done is we used that Tuesday and the Monday to say, okay, this now dictates what happens Wednesday and Thursday, and then then we have a conversation amongst that about what's going to happen Friday, Saturday. So usually day by day, the most most people will see in advance is maybe two two three days. But actually, going back to what you were saying about having a framework there in place, because this kind of rotating microcycle continues to happen, and this the way the concurrent training is set up. They know what's coming. So they know Wednesday is going to be a day they're expected to be out on the bike. They know that Thursday will be a gym day and, and Friday might be some kind of day we do some kind of pre-exhaustion. So they know what to expect on those days. But they, we're not giving them the numbers. Uh, two reasons. One is the one that we're discussing. And number two is that if you then say to somebody, your lift is 100 kilos and they can't hit that number on the day, they're immediately disappointed in themselves. But if you've only said, today I want you to lift 80 and you rationalize why that is, and they, they hit that, then psychologically they're still progressing as well which is huge because when people fail naturally you'll be the same i'll be the same you think what have i done wrong i've done something why is this and it becomes a very insular kind of negative mindset whereas if if you if you hit the goal that was there for you and you understand that it's changed because of this and the next thing then it's all progress Mm. isn't it yeah definitely this sounds all amazing how can people get in contact with omnia performance if they want to uh, get involved with this programming uh, directly at uh, onyourperformance.com. Go on there. Uh, you can book consults uh, with myself or with Fergus through through the mm. site. They can find me. Uh, oh, there's the Omnia Performance at Omnia Performance Instagram page. Uh, and again, you're just directly messaging either myself or Fergus through that. And then there's our emails there, which is Omnia-Performance. Uh, and our, our first names before that, so Jonathan at Omnia-Performance.com. And then we both have our own um Instagram pages. So I'm at Jonathan Payne. Fergus is at Fergus Crow. You'll find a lot more of the information it tends to be through Fergus's channel, actually, because he's uh, he's developed that little YouTube, um, sort of big YouTube mm. following now. And, and so we, we, we use that as a conduit to get, get the information out there. And uh, I'll sit in the background like a marionette and see if I can move <laughs> things about. But yeah, we're, we're relatively easy to find. And uh, just the usual places and, and very, very yeah. easy to reach out. Oh, definitely. I'll put all of that in the show notes, including YouTube channels and everything. So I definitely recommend everyone Great, who's listening wonderful. just to check all that out. Mm-hmm. And if you want to try and take on a challenge that's just that little bit different and wants to be strong and be very cardiovascularly fit as well, like just go for it and see what see what you can do and also see what you can learn. I'd love to finish off, Johnny, in knowing which of your challenges that you've done recently, maybe with Fergus, which one's been your favourite and why? I mean, these things change, don't they? That, that's an interesting one. I've, 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 uh, I think because it's more, it's fresh in our minds and it, it was very, very tough, Project Vertical, it stands out. It's relatively mm. unique as well. For anybody who doesn't know what Project Vertical was, we, we attempted to scale Ben Nevis up here in Scotland enough times over and over to accumulate a vertical marathon in, in terms of uh, vertical gains. So it, it would have been 30, I think 32, 33 times we had to, to consecutively claim Nevis. But we only had a, a window of 11 days to do that because of the, the, the support network that we had and, and really just taking time away off work, et cetera, et cetera. So over the 11 days, we, we underestimated the mountain, frankly. And, and over those 11 days, we um, the guy got 22 times up the mountain. Fergus, Fergus won less because he, he came up with a bit of an injury on the very last, or his injuries caught up with him on the very last day. So that was that was a, an undertaking and a half. But actually, the things that we got from that, there's there's a documentary if you follow follow the, the maybe you yeah, as well, Phil. But the uh, the documentary itself um, details a lot of why we did it. We did it to to draw attention to men's mental health. We felt like we did that well. It certainly gained enough traction to to cause the right effect. But as far as us as individuals went, the task was much bigger than the physical task, which sounds ridiculous when you say you're going to climb the highest mountain in the UK 22 times in a row. But it became 
a lot about mindset. So any challenge that I've done, that's, that eventually it's about whether you can dig deep enough mentally. I've always been the ones that I'm I'm drawn to, and that was certainly a way to expose any inner yeah. demons that, that one might have. And uh, we're still here, so it was it was it was fun. Certainly, certainly was fun. It was it was hard, but I came away smiling. That's that's a bonus. Yeah, what about it was so mentally draining and mentally difficult? Is it just the repetition of, oh, you know, each summit and descent, what, take four to five hours? Sorry, it's been a while since I've done Ben Nevis. And then you've got to just repeat that over and over again. Is it just the slog? And what I'm trying to guess is I reckon people will see that and think, well, you, you, you can just go slowly. You're walking up and down mountains. How hard can it be? But really, it's really difficult. And I just want the listener to really appreciate just how tough it is. Well, to give you an example, the by day three, so I, I have a, we were going to talk about skateboarding, maybe we ran out of time to talk about skateboarding, but in 1999 skateboarding, I broke my knee really very, oh, wow. very badly. I was in a wheelchair for a while, all kinds of screws holding me together and things. A tough time. So my knee's been reconstructed three or four times. And, and I knew that it was going to be physically tough for me to do something so repetitively over and over. And, and, and when, when one thinks about the descents, the your constant eccentric force and, and slowing yourself down as you come down the mountain, uh, it takes it t- takes its toll. Anybody, you, know, you can climb very, very big mountains, but you're not going to be doing it over and over and over for that amount of time in that kind of terrain either. So by day three, my worst, I think day three or day four, my worst nightmare had come true and, and, and I tore in both knees. So it's only afterwards we found I went to see some professionals and had grade three tears wow. right through both knees. Pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, and I was, I was in, a, in a great deal of pain by, by day three, day four. And my concern was that then I was going to derail the project, that me being slow meant that Fergus would feel compelled to slow down. And we'd, we'd, we'd talked about what would happen if one of us got injured. But then the reality is you still want to care for the other person because we were very much in that together, even after after mm. day two. It was only us that was going through it. So so I was very concerned that that was going to be a big uh, problem and, and ultimately pushed through and, and got through that kind of barrier of pain. I, I just had to accept the pain, frankly. It never went away. It was, I was in a lot of pain the whole time. But um, the, 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 that... That kind of finding a way to cope with the pain daily was was really a huge mental struggle because every part of you said, well, just stop. But we felt like we committed to, to pushing until we had to stop and I knew that there was still more in me. So that that made it tough. And, and as you said, actually, one of the toughest parts was just the repetition. Getting up in the morning, we had to get up at three o'clock or so in the morning each day to get ourselves fed, get back to the mountain and just start again and just... It's a Sisyphal tale, isn't it? I talked about Sisyphus quite a few times where you're just pushing that boulder up to the top and then right start again. And it felt like an eternity. So we became that kind of, we became Sisyphus for that, for that amount of time. So it became quite, quite torturous just to do the same things over. So what we had to do then was find ways of making it different each day. And, and, and obviously we, we can't make the mountain different, but the view was different. The weather was different. People came and joined us for certain climbs. Sometimes we talked, sometimes we didn't. So. We, we got through it, but uh, it was dark at times. It was, it was difficult, but but ultimately rewarding because uh, we met that. I, I often say with these things that you'll meet yourself on these journeys, and, and hopefully, when I've done some some very extreme ultra marathons and things as well, each time I've expected to have these questions asked of myself. I've expected to come up against this kind of quote unquote weak version, this kind of shadow version of Johnny who says, "Just give up, pack it in, you can go." Nobody will even know. You can go home and say a lie and bit you or something, just make some shite up, nobody will ever, because nobody would know you. And, and most people wouldn't even judge you or not or care much, frankly. Nobody really cares. But the reality of it is you'll meet those questions. And, and I'm always keen to find out, you know, how I answer that kind of devil on my shoulder. And, and so far, I've, I've always come up uh, come up quite pretty strong. But it's an interesting place to find yourself. And it's a place that not many people are keen to put themselves. But with, with within the boundaries of safety, so that I'm not kind of, that COA moment here, I don't want to encourage people to go out and claim Nevis 22 times in a row to see how they feel. But I certainly think that people should challenge themselves beyond what they currently can do in whatever way that they can that they can seek out and see what those questions are and, and see what the answers are. And, and there's much learning. There's much learning and suffering. Uh, a strange way if we're ending now that's a very strange (laughs) morbid note to end on but uh, the the gift of suffering is is pretty huge I think yeah I I think it's a great message that you seem to learn the most about yourself during times of real intense stress and what I've always found almost quite weird is that you learn a lot of stuff about learn a lot about yourself during these times and you see how that's applied in your new world like post it and then 
you look back on that stress, like you're like, oh, I wouldn't do it again. But you look back on it with a certain level of fondness because you appreciate just how much you learned about yourself uh, during it. Yeah. And it it just it's, it seems a bit weird. Well, I wouldn't do it again. I hated it, but I'm really glad that I did it. <laughs> but, but probably would. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. In fact, we've got something coming up now, uh, uh, maybe a little plug for, but some, something that, that you, your listeners um, would probably be interested in. I think yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Is, um, we have uh, a, a great relationship with uh, Through Dark clothing company, both uh, Staz and Louie are, are ex-Special Forces chaps. Okay, yeah, Staz was on SAS, wasn't he? That's right. He was on the as the as the mole recently. So they're good friends of of ours. And Louis's brother Frankie is actually starting to on Saturday, I believe. He he starts talisman triathlon. So if you if people can go online and look at through through dark, actually through me, I'll be sharing it as well, or directly at talisman triathlon. And Frankie is going from the from Lands End an ingress from there to Lake Bala, I believe it's called in, in Wales. So so from so on the bike and running. He's going to go there, and, and through through the through England, Scotland, and Wales, he's going to on bike and foot travel the length of the country, but stopping to swim the largest lakes in each country and climb the highest mountains. So essentially, it's, a, huh. it's, it's an extreme triathlon in the very in a very real sense, rather than the one we described earlier on, which is a magnified triathlon. This is just sort of an extreme way of piecing together those uh, things. He's doing it in order to draw attention again to men's mental health through through CAM. Oh yeah, I know CAM. Yeah, Camp, yeah, yeah, campaign for, against living miserably and to raise awareness and 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 to sort of bring people together on in in that front. But going back to to the suffering, I mean, I'll be supporting um, Frankie on the Scottish legs, so he'll get here, and uh, Fergus is going to do a bit of the swim with him, I believe, and, and I'll be up at Nevis again. God damn it, <laughs> we will be. <laughs> Oh, not Lakers again! Not again! I know, I know. Exactly. PTSD twitches and mm. things, but we're going to yeah. we're going to try and do that, and then follow him up as far as John grows, uh, and hopefully see. But something like that, the undertaking of something like that, the, the, the nerves that he must be going through. Now he's carrying it brilliantly. Uh, a, a marine and a, a PTI in the marine, so so again, no stress. But certainly, mm. this is new, and it's something that you look at. The reason I'm bringing this up, apart from the fact that it's epic. Uh, and, and hopefully people can go and look at that and, and maybe follow on and support, is that it comes down to that same kind of uh, thing. Stas asked him earlier on in an interview why he, uh, you know, what he had done to prepare for it. And he's been preparing for things like that all his life. He's, he's always been fit, always been strong, always been ready. And, and he's just had to focus more on those modalities recently. But ultimately, there is no preparation for starting something like that. You know it's going to be huge and monumental. And you're going to have to draw on certain motivational things for, externally. But Actually, the reality is you just got to take each moment as it comes and meet those sort of moments of darkness, either on your own, in your own head, or draw on the support around you. And those are great metaphors, and, and Frankie's very much encapsulating that for what we probably should do for, for, for mental health, which is to sometimes try and work up the resilience and work up the, the, the mental courage to deal with these things ourselves, actually to face things head on and recognise them for what they are, but also to be aware of uh, and ready to, without ego, draw on those support networks around you and, and that's very much where all the kind of campaigns and things that we've done and certainly my own athletic background has been about is, is that ability to, to be resourceful and, and to, to find something in yourself to continue but also to know that you no man is a rock no man is an island or, or woman uh, and these these campaigns and these kind of extreme things allow people to explore themselves but they're also excellent for allowing other people to kind of look in and see something in the in, a, in it up for themselves as well. So hopefully we can, through that campaign, Frankie, through Dark and, and externally, the likes of myself supporting it, can draw eyes in and uh, people can either think, I want to do something extreme and really, really challenge myself. Maybe that's what the message that they get or maybe they get a message of, of continuing to look after their own mental health or help others around. So these things, although they might seem arbitrary, end up being vehicles for, for great good, I think. Yeah. What, a, what a, an amazing challenge for an amazing cause. I think it'll be made. I will put everything I can for that challenge and that cause on our show notes and I'll do what I can to sh- share it through Instagram as well. I think that's brilliant. Um, I'd be grateful. I'd love that. I yes. think it's a great message to end on because more and more people are taking on these types of challenges and they're, it's allowing them to ask themselves questions and it's bringing awareness to them to show them what they can actually achieve. And it's really helping their mental resilience, which I think is brilliant. So the more and more that 
sort of like all these different like through dark omnia progress theory and we're all collaborating because we all have similar goals in yeah. a way we can work together to really yeah, so, yeah. really sort of advertise these cause and hopefully help a lot of people with their mental health so yeah 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 and it's, it's great to see agree with you entirely it's, it's great to see it but we, if you can help one person instead of with any of our campaigns and we know we got a lot of personal feedback where after the, the nevis campaign where people were, were, were directly saying well, there was something in what you were doing not even sure what it was something intangible for, for, for whoever that person was that made them stop and think yeah maybe there's a different way to look at what i'm doing you know maybe we, we our catch-all dragon our hashtag if you like was climb your own mountain mm. and, and you know with these things if you can signpost it i can sign we can we can attract some attention to it and if we help one person to, to make a more positive choice in, in moments of high stress then then it's every moment that, that frankie puts under his feet will be worth it i think and and us if we if we if we push for another campaign that uh, it, it makes it worthwhile and there, there's another motivation to keep moving is because uh, you want to do some good some some kind of service to others which i think is a very human yeah, trait to me Oh, this has been absolutely brilliant. Johnny, I feel like we might need a round two somewhere down the line to talk more about training because I think there's going to be more challenges and all sorts of things that we can discuss. So thank you for such a brilliant episode. And we never even got to the skateboarding. I know. So we that's... might have to have a separate episode just for skateboarding, especially post-Olympics. Maybe that. Yeah, maybe that. I'll, I'll, yeah, that's a good idea. Well, brilliant. <laughs> thank you very much. And everyone, check out Johnny's Omnia performance and his Instagrams, which he mentioned earlier in the show. Johnny, cheers. I will hopefully see you soon. Thank you very much, Phil. Thanks. Thank you to Johnny for coming on to The Progress Theory and talking about his work with Omnia Performance and his ideas around hybrid training. Hybrid training is getting more popular as people are starting to see that with an appropriate training program, we don't necessarily have to be excellent in only one training domain. Please check out our show notes for links to Omnia Performance and see how Johnny can help you develop your training goals. Now, as always, I just wanted to provide some final thoughts on key areas which really stood out to me from the episode. Firstly, I enjoyed hearing his ideas around what a hybrid athlete is. To me, it seemed like his definition of a hybrid athlete wasn't necessarily someone that was great at everything. It's born out of an understanding that developing multiple qualities is essential to enhance the training you're trying to specialise in. It seems counterintuitive to only train in one domain as having a base layer of multiple physical qualities actually improves performance in your speciality. Secondly, I like his auto-regulated microcycle approach to programming. When juggling so many variables, it is essential to know how the athlete is feeling very regularly. This type of training needs a very close working relationship between coach and athlete, as it is hard to predict in advance how the athlete is going to react to so many stresses. So how can you program that far ahead? Well, you need a rough guide in your head of the direction you want to go and the training needed to get there. How you get there has to be heavily auto-regulated based on the athlete. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode and it has sparked some ideas on what challenge you will take on. Could you train strength and ultra endurance concurrently? I think with the right coaching and programming, you'll be surprised what you can achieve. But first, check out Omnia Performance. All the links from the show are in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, it would be awesome if you could leave us a review and share this episode on your Insta story. Feed that algorithm to help grow the show. We'll see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.